So, so Adam, we are on LinkedIn a lot, right? You and I both on LinkedIn a lot. All the time. All the, All time. the time. So you've probably seen these things and they're... Uh, God, I'm so irritated at these posts. It's like someone going, I went from $20,000 a year to $750,000 in two years. <laughs> Here's my secrets. And then you expand it. And I always expand it because I know it's going to be meaningless bullshit. It's just someone coming totally. in going here like I you know, every day I, I worked and I made phone calls and I wasn't afraid to do the job that I needed to do, even though that was actually my job. And then I got successful. And you're like, the, I think the sad part to me, why this is really irritating is because it's someone who has no actual idea how they got to where they got trying to espouse their wisdom to somebody else. Right. Well, that's, that's how they got their money though. <laughs> <laughs> but, but no, I mean, on it, but if they were actually honest with themselves, it was someone who introduced them to someone else that gave them this opportunity. It was some mentor that came along to, with them, helped them see how they could do things better. It wasn't just sitting down and grinding away. It, it's really bad advice, I think, to try and tell someone who's trying to break into sales that you'll become really rich if all you do is just pick up the phone and make cold calls all day long. It's going to pay off. Like, that can work. But that's not the proven strategy to success. So I, I just, it really irritates because there's so many people out there. And every post you see like that, it's got like a thousand likes and people, yeah. I love this inspiration. It's like, no, that's This not, one changed my no. life and career. <laughs> oh, that's going to be so, it's so irritating to me. I don't, uh, you know, I, I look at it this way. I look at it this way. Every platform is going to try, I mean, this is all generated advertising dollars for LinkedIn and they're making money on I this. I mean, that's why, yeah, I mean. <laughs> they, they, you know, and hey, I would be the last person in the world to fault anybody for making money, especially a company because they pay people and employees. Mortgage. I think we all make money from companies. Yeah, we all make money from companies. <laughs> but my message hmm. is we have to be smart enough to filter out the crap with our own minds. And I think that this is just one of those examples. And yes, it pisses me off too because it's garbage in my feed and I like that little X button. And I'll just click I know. it. I just, I'll click so it I away, Jack. I don't want to click see it away. This. I don't want to see it and it's gone. Anyways, anyways. Yep. Oh, that's the thing that's irritating me. Anyways, welcome to Devil Jockeys, everyone. Jack Cochran here with my co-host, Adam DiTomaso. Adam, say hi. Hi, Adam DiTomaso. <laughs> I mean, hi, everyone. How are you all doing? <laughs> welcome back, and we're always excited to have you here and join us, and of course, join us with our special guest. Yeah, I'm so excited. This was a great interview. We just finished the interview with Ron. Ron Whitson is going to be joining us today to talk about range that we've been talking about all month. Ron, uh, if you don't know him, if you don't follow him, one, you should go find him on LinkedIn. Follow him. Great. Provides great thought leadership, great insights, always some funny stuff as well. He's the VP of Global Presales Services at Seismic. Uh, I met him through the Presales Collective. I think I had uh, heard him actually on a different podcast, and he encouraged people to reach out and connect with him. And so I did. And I encourage you to do the same because he's absolutely a joy to talk to, has great insights. And I think you're really going to enjoy the enjoy the interview today. And if you like tennis, so does he. <laughs> he does like tennis. Little spoiler, he does like tennis. He's got the icon on LinkedIn. You'll see he's got the racket behind him if you're watching us on video. Um, but yeah, super great, super great interview. I'm really excited for it. Uh, so should we hop in? Should we go to the episode? Let's go to the episode. All right. Ron, welcome to the show. We're so excited to have you here. 
Well, no, I appreciate the invitation. I'm pretty excited myself. And uh, Jack, I think it was earlier this summer that uh, you kind of introduced me to this book. So uh, it was it was really interesting. I, I appreciate the uh, recommendation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I do remember that. Yeah, because I think I had reached out, reached out to you because you were on the Pre-Sales Collectives podcast where you had said, reach out to me. I like meeting people. I'm like, well, I'm going to take him up on that offer. <laughs> and we were talking have. about books. Yeah, we were talking about, I think, I think we were just talking about books. And I'm like, there's this book I've been reading. I'm absolutely loving it. And I think the podcast was still an idea. We were floating around at that point, right? Yeah. Yeah, you yeah. still work we on were, a name we for it, too. Oh, that's right. We like we were tossing around the, the pre-sales book club podcast. That was my idea. I'm so glad Adam had a better idea for demo jockeys. <laughs> Would have been the worst. Catchier. <laughs> Much catchier. Better logo. Yeah. I, I love the demo jockey phrase just because it's so, I mean, let's face it, in our industry, it was a negative term. But, uh, you know, I think we can put our twist on it, make it fun. And you know, in the end, all three of us are all, we've all been demo jockeys. Absolutely right. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so kickoff question for you, Ron. Uh, going through the book range, right out of the gate, it talks about two athletes. It talks about Tiger Woods, your classic, you know, do a, be a specialist, do everything for a thousand hours. And Roger Federer who is your example of your more generalist athlete. So are you a Tiger Woods guy? Outside of range, are you a Tiger Woods guy or are you a Roger Federer guy? Well, you may not be able to see everything behind me, but there are a few uh, tennis rackets back there. <laughs> little, Huge. Little tongue-in-cheek because I, I see the tennis logo in your LinkedIn profile. <laughs> that's right. That's right. No. Huge <laughs> tennis fan. It's something I discovered a little bit later in life. So, uh, Gosh, about 20 years ago, I got into tennis, and Fed has been my favorite player. I'm still not over the fact that he's retired, so, you know, give me a little bit of time. I'll, I'll get used to it. But, uh, no, I just loved everything about his game. Um, I actually had the great privilege, I actually had the great privilege to see him play a couple of times. Uh, I think the first time was back in uh, 2015. I was actually in New York for business. I'm at the hotel that night. I know the Open's going on. I don't have anything to do. Pull up to Hub, grab a ticket, jump on the train to uh, to Queens and catch the match. And it was uh, Fed and Gasquet. Beautiful match at night at the Open. I mean, come on. What more do you want, right? And then um, in 2019, I was in London uh, working with Emily Delard and some people on my team. And uh, her uh, boyfriend is a big tennis fan. So it's like, hey, let's let's grab tickets to the, the ATP tour that was uh, happening at the O2. And we, we knew Thursday night was the night that we could get tickets. So we just grabbed the tickets, didn't know who was going to play at that point. And uh, when the tickets came out the day, it was uh, Fed and Djokovic. And that's when Federer beat him. So that was a fantastic match to watch, too. Wow. That's I mean, really cool. That's, is, he as, that, is he as dynamic kind of a player in person as you kind of see on screen? Like, is it, does that carry through? Oh, absolutely. Swiss precision. I mean, he just floats around the court, makes these beautiful shots and will pull a shot out of his, you know, hat that you don't expect. And just, uh, just so fun to watch it. And, you know, to, to have that as your mental model when you're trying to play as a, you know, 50 something adult, it's a very different game, but you know, still that's your inspiration. Mm -hmm. Now I do have a general tennis question because I am from the great state of Rhode Island. Have you been out to Newport to the tennis hall of fame? I've not made it out there yet. Oh, that's on the bucket highly list. recommended. Good, good. Yeah. Just, I mean, it's, it's neat because just to, I mean, to have our little conversation about tennis, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not, a, I'm not into the sport. I mean, I'm not, I don't follow it like you do, but I appreciate it. And I grew up around it. I grew up in this area. And one of the neat things about that is just the history and the idea you've got these natural grass courts 
and this really old school tennis vibe. It's all part of the Newport Gilded Age history that's just fascinating to me. So, highly yeah, recommend it. Uh, <laughs> listen, next time I get out there, I'll, I'll give you a shout and we'll go uh, we'll go hit a couple Excellent. of balls on the court. I'd love to try. It'd be funny. And fun. <laughs> Please get someone to record this session. I need to I need to see this match. I do. Oh, Jack, you know me, it's going to be a LinkedIn post, so don't worry about that. Uh, oh, totally. uh, yes, it will be. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and, and in case you don't know Ron, for those of you out there who might not know, uh, he is a big voice on LinkedIn in the pre-sales community. If you don't follow him and you like kind of getting good content, like seeing funny content, like just engaging your mind every week, I think you're very consistent. I mean, you're probably one of the top posters of the people that I follow that I, I know Ron's going to have a post out there, and if oh I see it, I'm going to read it. That's very kind. Thank you, Absolutely. Jack. No, I... I've tried to be consistent and just bring my thoughts out there. And, and I talked about it a little bit on the podcast with Maddie for the Presales Collective. It's one of those things that can be a little bit uh, scary before you start doing it because you imagine all the bad things that will happen. And uh, it, it's been completely, you know, not like that experience at all. It's been wonderful. It's been lots of connections with you and, and others and opportunities to do things like this. But um, it, it's also just nice to find a community that's appreciative of that, of that content. Yeah. No, I would encourage it as well. I mean, I I found exactly the same thing. You're, it's it's it is a very scary concept at first to put yourself out there, but I mean, do it. I mean, you, you'll connect with people. There's of course there's some people who might say something bad, but hey, when you finally get if you have ever get a LinkedIn troll, you know you've made it, right? You finally <laughs> exactly you've, right. You've made it. <laughs> uh, Ron, so can I get getting to our actual book uh, conversation? So range, you mentioned the Tiger Woods, Roger Federer. Uh, kind of comparison as you were reading through it i mean from a generalist specialist perspective did you know that stuff about about roger federer beforehand were you kind of aware of that or, or did you learn was that brand new for you as you were reading through no I, I was familiar with with his background just kind of uh being a fan of his and kind of hearing his story and if if, if people aren't familiar with it and they haven't had a chance to read the book yet um fed was actually a little bit late to tennis in life as you know, professional athletes and, and child athletes go. Tiger was programmed for golf from the beginning. Uh, Fed was actually encouraged by his parents to do lots of different sports. And uh, Roger was actually going to be a professional footballer uh, before he made the turn to tennis. And, um, you know, uh, David Epstein in the book references a lot of people feel like, you know, they start too late in life. Fed was actually really late in life when he moved to tennis. But because we suppose of his range and his uh, athletic abilities that were developed pursuing other sports, he he caught it very quickly and, and actually surpassed a lot of people. Right, so yeah, I was aware of that, and and I think that's really interesting too. That you know you, you run across some people who are programmed just in that one thing and they do really really well, but then you get others who can can actually do better. Uh, you know, saying that in the sport of tennis, the Bryan brothers were kind of along the Tiger Woods model. Uh, their dad, Wayne, is a, a ATP a tour voice and, and does a lot with them. I've had a chance to meet him and the Bryans. And from a very, very early age, this was the plan. My twin boys are going to be the number one doubles team in the world. And, and they, were, they were pushed to that. And, and that's a cool story. I'm sure it's a wonderful achievement for Bob and Mike. But the one thing I wonder about is, you know, it was their dad's choice. It wasn't their choice. And there's a, a story that they tell where... You know, he wanted them to be out on the practice court, but they want, you know, they want to be what kids are do and stay inside and play some uh, 
Xbox or something like that, and Dad comes in, he's very unhappy, ends up throwing the Xbox down the uh, cliff behind the house. So, you know, and, and as I was it. kind of reading through the book and, and thinking about these two, I also think about we've done such a, I think, poor disservice to our children with this ideal of early specialization in sports. Here in Texas, obviously, you know, high school football is a big thing, but also soccer and some of these other high school sports. You get these select clubs where kids along the ages of six and eight are signing contracts to be with these clubs at a very, very early age. And then, you know, get, you get some kid who just wants to come, come along and play soccer for fun. It's like, well, wait a minute, what select club do you want to be on? And so I, I think that can be a huge problem to actually discourage kids to have some some different options early in their sports career. Well, that that's interesting, too, because that kind of puts pressure on the idea of basically just being able to try something and failing. Like, mm-hmm. I'm awful at this. I Now I know I'm awful at this, and I can laugh at myself at being awful at this and then go on and learn that I can be a specialist in something else because maybe something... Maybe somebody's not as good at me at this particular task or this particular sport or doing this particular activity. That's tough. I've never heard of that. I mean, it's, it's up in Rhode Island. I'm, a, I'm like the polar opposite of the spectrum. My state's 40 miles by 80 miles. So <laughs> there are people in Texas with probably more land than in my state. There's certainly there's the sports fanatic just as much as Texas, particularly Patriots, Celtics, Bruins, whatever, Red Sox. But I've never heard of that contracting that. Yeah. There's not, there's not that much of an emphasis on the on the on the kid level sports around here. I would say that's just a cultural thing, I guess, or just a, a territory thing. I think it's I interesting. Th- I think we, even if there's not a contract, the concept I feel like happens a lot to parents with their kids, right? That 100%. in order for them to have any success in whatever it is, music, sports, or education, <laughs> that, well, you got to start them at two years old or they're going to be so far behind their peers and they're never going to catch up. And how can you make up these lost years? And they think of it like their 401k. You know, if you don't invest it early, you'll never make up that investment. But that's what I really loved about the book Unlocking for me because I'm so much the opposite person. I never invested in one thing. Like I was all over the place. And it's been good to realize i think adam you and i talked about this last episode that it wasn't me just being lucky the investments that i made elsewhere still counted towards my overall like it made me a better person as opposed to hindering me like we're taught and a lot of parents think about for their kids right uh ron on that front i'd love to know because adam and i have talked a little bit about this we're we're both more in the generalist camp we specialize some things but definitely we've got both a breadth of experience Where's your background been from a specialist or generalist? Uh, and, and in light of that, like as you're reading the book, where did you see yourself landing in that area? Yeah, it, it's really interesting as I think about that. So I, I would classify myself as a generalist because um, my start in sales engineering came from 10 years in, in IT before. And I was working for a consulting firm and it was an amazing firm. And I give Jim Buchanan all the credit in the world. He just hires good people and gives them opportunities to succeed. But I did everything from uh, database administration to hardware installations. At one point, I had my hardware certification. I was certified on netware. I was crawling around in cubicles, you know, uh, putting down token ring network cabling. Um, I, I, I taught software courses. I wrote software courses. I was a programmer, did a bunch of VB applications, built a bunch of websites. So anything you could imagine in the realm of IT, 
I did. And so I had a lot of technical confidence. So when my buddy Shane Phillips called me up one day, this was October of 1998, he said, hey, Ron, there's this thing called a sales engineer. He says, I, I think you'd like it and I think you'd be good at it. I was like, okay, sounds good. So I went and uh, interviewed with this company and got the job and started trying to figure out how to be a sales engineer. Um, so it was certainly that idea of being able to, uh, that, that concept of thinking I could do a lot of different stuff gave me the confidence, uh, hey, I can do this too, right? And I had a friend who believed in me, thought I could do it, so that helped as well. And then a lot of it was just figuring it out for the next you know 25 years and I, I've got that, I, my parents gave me the ability to, to feel like I can do what I want to do and, and, and achieve it. And um, I'm not afraid to make a mistake, right? But if I make that mistake, the one thing I want to do is be sure I learn something from it to try to avoid that mistake again. And that's how you build experience and that's how you build wisdom, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I love your experience in general, looking at your LinkedIn page, basically kind of seeing where you've been, what you're doing now, how you're managing people. And I mean, and just just in using the book as an influencer here, do you think that after reading this, you've, it's open, not open, I'm trying to think of the best way to say it. Do you think that it has helped you with your management of employees in particular when we talk about, see, the, I would say the three of us are all old school guys, meaning we came up through pre-sales, Without the luxury of the academy, without the luxury of, of right. mentors like ourselves, where, you know, there's probably 60 years, 70 years of, oh, we're all old pre-sales experience on this phone call right now or on this, this web podcast right now. Do you think range helped you kind of say this is a better way or how I can look? Oh, this guy's a specialist. This guy's more of a classical musician or this gal's more of a classical musician because they... Um, seemed to have put the effort and came from the pre-sales academy as opposed to this one who's a natural. Does that make sense to help you identify? It, it, it does, Adam. And, and I think the way I'll answer it is um, in this way. So one of the things I'm really proud of that we're doing here at Seismic is we have an associate SE program, associate sales insurance program. And for the first several people who we went through the program, it was like most other people do, right? You grab a BDR who's interested in sales engineering and you kind of train them up to be an SE. Uh, we broke that mold a little bit um, over the last couple of years and that I've been hiring outside of Seismic. And, um, you know, a lot of people who follow me on LinkedIn also know about Tamara. She's an ex-opera singer who's come to Seismic as an associate SE and just is absolutely crushing it. Uh, Julie Hannon joined us. She was an ex-teacher who has joined us and recently moved to, moved to the field. So I think, you know, me knowing that I'm a generalist has empowered me to find other people who I believe to be more generalist in nature and know that they can do a really good job as a sales engineer. The one really interesting thing that I took about, that I took from the book and it came about more towards the end of the book was the, um, you know, early on, uh, David introduced the idea of the kind world versus the wicked world. And again, for people who haven't got to that point yet, wicked world is, you know, things are different every day and you've, you're, you're constantly facing new challenges that you have to, uh, of, overcome and the kind world is things are the same every day and so you can learn some repetitive natures to um, take care of that um what i thought about is i actually have a little bit of both worlds in this associate SE program and let me explain uh, the associates are in charge of the demo environments so one of the things that they're asked to do is to spool up new demo tenants when the SEs in the field need something. They'll build the tenant, they'll put some data in it. Those are very rote tasks. We've got that down to almost an automated science. 
But then I like this idea of, and I throw I call it just throwing them out in the middle of the lake, right? Uh, I'm not going to let them drown. I'll stand there. I've got a buoy at the side. I'm watching them. I'm make sure their head stays above water. I'm going to make sure they're okay. But I'm going to let them struggle a bit because that's how they figure stuff out. And a great example of this is uh, last year we had a, a new feature get rolled out. And I took Tamara and I said, hey, you're in charge of rolling out this new feature into the demo tenants. She had no idea of how to do that. She had not done that before, but I connected her with the right people. We put the right resources around her and the amount of information that she was able to develop and the amount of experience and learning over that period of time in that wicked world, she had to figure stuff out. She had to use her skills. It was amazing. So that's what I've kind of took from it is whether I knew that that's what I was doing or not, now I kind of have a, a way to categorize that and bucket that as an approach to how I'm developing some of these people. So that was pretty cool. That was a nice revelation in reading the book. Ron, I love the kind world, wicked world uh, analogy in the book as well. Because I, I, I hadn't really stopped to think about the fact that there are things, there are structures in life that require two really different types of approach. And I know for me, I've taken a look at lots of different things within my life, within my work and trying to figure out what, what's the context that I'm working in right now. And especially with managing a team, same thing. Is this something where, you know, it, it requires more of the kinder approach of this is not this is a task that just do it this way versus figure out the tasks that you need to get done. Um, and yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I like the figure it out style if, if you can afford it and if, if it makes sense, right? Um, we need to make room for that more. All right, fantastic interviews so far. Hope you're enjoying it. That is a part one of a part two. Adam, I'm excited for I'm next excited week's too because part fantastic. two is going to be killer. Part two is great. Uh, so tune in next week for that. Check out demojockeys.com to see previous episodes, more information on books for reading. Speaking of which... Next month, Six Habits of Highly Effective Sales Engineers by Chris White. Check it out. Buy it. Read it. Fantastic book. I'm excited about that one as well. Yes. And for, join us in reviewing this book, taking a look in this book, and learning from this book. But hey, everyone, have a great night, and thanks for listening. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.